0: You can't force your shit on anyone and i see so many people trying to flog their wares i'm like pump the brakes go back to the very beginning make sure your product is great only then will the other thing happen if it's meant to happen never force it upon anyone because that's just the most ugly experience Welcome to Ladyland, a
1: podcast by Lady Brains, where female founders step into our world. It's a world of changemakers and innovators. We're talking to women paving their own way and extracting the very best lessons. We're your hosts, Caitlin Judd and Anna McKenzie, co founders of Lady Brains, a digital and IRL club for ambitious women who are building businesses of the future.
2: So strap in, fellow Lady Brain, and ride with us
1: to Ladyland. Artist CJ Hendry is one of Australia's most fascinating exports. You may know her as the face of hyperrealism. That's a style of art that's so damn lifelike it could be a photograph. She's caught the art world's attention by independently selling her pieces online for tens if not hundreds of thousands of dollars. And she calls Kanye West one of her customers. Over this two-part interview, you'll hear her journey. From Brisbane teen with Olympic dreams to becoming one of the world's most disruptive young artists navigating her 20s it was a pivotal conversation which you will hear changed her trajectory the world almost missed out on cj henry the artist she's energetic hilarious and generous what will become abundantly clear is that cj henry never compromises on the quality of her product she does not ask for permission and she stops at nothing to make her next big idea a reality we begin sitting on the floor of a brooklyn studio flanked by half-finished works and asking who is the real cj
0: henry so I'm from Brizzy, but not always from Brizzy. I'm actually South African. So my family is South African and I must thank my mum and dad, Rob and Judy, they brought us all over. So my sister and I, I think I was nine, she was six. And so we've kind of, I call myself an Aussie pretty much. Mm. But my mum, if you spoke to her, she, she would say like, how's it, my darling? How are you, hey, how's it? Oh, my darling, you're no shame. You know, so the real, they're really South African in yeah, that yeah, way. Yeah. So it's, yeah. So I'm brought up in Brizzy. Yeah. Fortunately, I was quite sporty. I don't think academic at all, actually, but somehow winged it in there. So I think it was pretty much a sports scholarship. Let's just be very clear about that. Let's not give (laughs) anyone any false ideas of what's going on. Um, So, yeah, Brizzy Girl um, left school. And when I left school, I went to enrol in architecture and because I thought, well, well, you've got to go and get a degree because that's the way you kind of move forward in life, you know.
2: I was going to say, did you choose architecture because you were a drawer back yeah, then?
0: Yes. And I thought, gosh, you can't be an artist. That's not a career. It's not a real career. So let me combine, you know, the, the closest thing to creativity, which was architecture. And did an internship in an architectural firm. I don't even remember the name, to be honest. And it was fuck it was so fucking boring. I was sitting there, I designed a toilet block in two weeks. <laughs> I was like, bruh, if this is me, I'm out of here. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for the opportunity, but I'm done. So I did two years of architecture and I i wasn't not good at it, but I was like, I just don't get it. I didn't yeah. think the real yeah. world architecture translated to what mm. I was learning at uni. Mm, yeah. yeah. Did you study art at school? Yeah, but it was like, you know when we're all at school and you've got to do six subjects? Yeah. So I did Mass B, math C, sport, English, so art. just the and, basics,
1: really. Yeah, yeah, just
0: you're not at school. You're at school. Yeah you've got to pick subjects but I did win the art prize but only because I was good at drawing like there was uh, there were other girls who were really good as well but I just could draw well so I did have that inbuilt Mm. skill from an early age Mm, I've gotten much better ever since the start like I could copy a photograph really well that was always my skill it's like a human printer Xerox watch out that's all. That's all I am. Um, I
2: mean, uh, yeah, I feel like you're downplaying your skill a little bit. Like, yeah, it's an amazing skill, but it's.
0: I, I think if you give anything enough time, you could do. You, anyone could do the same thing. To be honest, I've got a base level skill, but I've gotten really, really good Practice. at it now. Yeah, hundred percent. Is that what you were doing at school? Just yeah. copying. Yeah, but only as much as the art lesson would allow. Like yeah. I wasn't doing much of it on the side. I think I may have done one portrait for someone, but uh, you know, like I was just a kid at school. I was, I was swimming a lot, so I was like professionally swimming. Tell so that—that's that. what I thought my whole life was gonna be. That was my identity. Everyone knew me as CJ the swimmer, you know, not like CJ the art person. It was like, yeah. oh well, you're a swimmer. And I think I got to the age of—I think I was 17 when I gave up. So the year before I left school, I was like, no, not can't do it anymore.
2: Why, it was just Why? too full on?
0: Not too full on. It, you know that conversation a lot of people will have, and I hear it a lot, the grit conversation, yeah. the grit or quit. If you are someone who's vaguely interested in doing something, you need to go all in with it and mm. not listen to what other people are saying. But then on the other hand, there's also the other conversation like, well, at what stage do you just stop? Give up. A- the day I knew I had to quit I think I had just done the Olympic trials didn't make it for the second time and didn't make it by a fair whack but mm. I'm like I can't continue to do this I want to at least stop at an age where I still am able to go into and try and find a new career you know so I could see at that age I'm like I don't think I can make money out of this career either and it's a fair bit to think about at the it age is. of 17 like isn't it can I make
1: money from this like- I know It's you know, and also but, yeah to walk away from something that you really love.
0: Yeah. But at the time gosh I'm trying to think it was so devastating at the time and so easy to talk about now but at the time it was my whole identity. Yeah. So when I told people I quit they're like but what are you what, what are you, you going to do? do? Yeah, exactly. I'm like oh I'll go into university. Or do something, you know, so university was the next step for me. Um, so, yeah, did architecture, awful. And then I thought, gosh, let me go and do um, accounting and finance. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so yeah, you, funny, isn't it? Your personality
1: I? definitely fits.
0: <laughs> but, no, anyway, so accounting and finance because I thought, gosh, I really quite enjoyed maths at school and numbers I'm like, oh, surely it can translate to finance. Surely that works. Um, but literally the only thing I took away was f- from finance, two things. The first lecture I went to was like they said two things, a certain in life, death and taxes. And then the other thing I learned was like buy low, sell high. I spent five years doing accounting and finance and I don't have the degree. Yep. Two subjects. I'm two subjects away from finishing. No. Yep. I just dropped out. I was like, I can't do this can't anymore. From two Two, two subjects. Sorry. It's easy to say. Like, m- mum is still like, you should go back and finish. I'm like, why? Why <laughs> what's would I? Point? What's the point? The yeah. piece of paper. What am I going to do? Yeah, Roll yeah. into Deloitte being you like, Sup <laughs> guys, somebody. I'm ready. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hi, me. Mergers and acquisitions. <laughs> <laughs> so, when I left school, I'm going to go back a little bit to just say work life in amongst all this university oh. shenanigans. Mm. I have always worked in hospitality, but in restaurants. So my main job was at the Brecky Creek in Brizzy serving steaks. It's an institution in Brisbane. If you guys okay. ever high ho up to we Brizzy, to spend a minute at the Breakfast Creek Hotel. Very famous in Brizzy. Huge. Institutional, one would <laughs> it's an say. Institution. Mate, God. I spent four hot and heavy years at the Brecky Creek serving G-G. steaks. Oh, you I, must have
1: loved it.
0: I love waitressing. That's pretty much been my only job, but apart from retail for a minute. but... Service and yeah. and hospitality and waitressing has been my only job. So let me explain. Breaky Creek Hotel is serving steaks, predominantly serving to men yeah. from all walks of life. And, and as a waitress, I really wanted, I really wanted all my customers to have a really great night or a great lunch. So I would really go above and beyond to give them the best service I could because the more... Outgoing, and the more you give, the more you get from your customers. You know what I mean? And the better time they have, and they come back, and and whatever. So I learned a lot from there, and then toward the end of my university, I was like twenty four maybe. I was like, ah, let me go. And this is when Brisbane was opening their first Chanel store. My like, gosh, let me see if I could try and get a job in luxury retail. Why? Why? So stakes well, to luxury. Like, uh, let me backtrack me a little this. minute there. My family, my parents, have given my sister and I everything, but nothing at the same time. That's the best way I can explain it. They've given us everything in terms of opportunity, but we weren't the kids at school in like the Esprit. Esprit was rocking back then. Or like the cool whatevers. You know, we would be at T-shirts and Kmart. You know, just really simple, no frills. And I think because of that, my sister and I were, maybe a little bit still are, so obsessed with luxury and buying luxury. So all throughout me working at the Brecky Creek, I had the most extraordinary wardrobe. Didn't go out much, just ha- had just it had it. Just yeah. be to have the things. You know that. You know that kind of that conversation that happens. It's like you want what you can't have. Mm-hmm. So I was earning. I was earning pretty good money at the Brecky Creek with tips as well. Tips, yeah, yeah. Man, I killed it. Um. Yes. Yeah, so I was. I went out and got Lubitins from DJs. Got you know. This is when Sass and Bide was also popping, yeah, You know, yeah, like. Yeah. Ah, bring back <laughs> Sass and Bide. Just saying, it's yeah. fun. Um. Anyway, so, so you know, so I had the whole shebang, like Zimmy, all the things, but. Fucked up handbags, Chanel handbags, like things that I had no place getting, but I'd save all my dollars for these things. Whilst at university, so I was enrolled in university, but didn't never attended because I loved working, loved wow. working, loved it. I would give up going to birthday parties because I'm like, I'd rather work. I, it was so strange. What's loved the it.
1: driver? Is it the I money coming in? Like, you- I don't
0: even think it's that. Uh, must be a little bit of that, but it was, I just like to be busy. Mm. It's a strange thing and I'm not very good at um, articulating what it is, but I just like to do things. For example, sitting at a bar is not a nice thing to do and that's a normal thing to do. I get a little bit agitated Angie. just sitting there. It's a weird thing and I know it's strange, but I like to So if I'm sitting at a bar, bless your heart, if I've cornered you, we're going to be having big convo's because I just like to chat. I like to understand things. I like to talk. I really I don't just want to have aimless lol. Yeah, 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 no, nah, nah, I can't. Yeah, I'm nah, not yeah, not here nah, for nah, it. Yeah. Not here for it. So it's like that's why I don't go out much because not not everyone wants a big chat. big, big chats
2: big, big at, big at a bar. No. <laughs> oh, right. We love the big table.
0: <laughs> But at a bar with this like yeah. CJ, just like this super bubbly, and I'm half the time not drinking. I'm on my diet cokes, but like, having big chats. Like, but tell me about that. But do you love your job? What's the other thing? What's your side hustle? Da-da-da, da-da-da. Uh, and people are like, oh, <laughs> oh bro. my god, I'm, I need not lie down. Do you know how often people say, oh, got to get another drink? I'm like, oh, that that gotta go. Oh shit, you know? It's a, I'm just not a fluff. I just don't like chilling. I don't like yeah. fluffing.
2: So, did you always have this? Like when you were working as a waitress and you dropped out of architecture and then you didn't finish finance, like, were you
0: lost at that point? I was. Yeah. Yes, I was lost, but I had energy. So I had energy, but I wasn't able to figure out where to channel it. So I am sure all my managers who ever managed me at any point in my life, I am so sorry. I'll just <laughs> say that right now. Like I <laughs> would have been one of those employees that they're like, "Oh, she's good, but she she drives me up the wall." Like I knew I was always really good at what I did because I just loved to do the thing well. I really, even if it was just a waitressing job, I just wanted to be really good Good at at it it. and even at Chanel working in retail I just wanted people to have a great experience and I really want to talk about the Chanel thing because I've learned a lot from there as well. I talked my way and bullshitted my way into a job at Chanel. Sorry Chanel crew but you hired me and it was a fun time. I said I could speak Swedish and this they were looking predominantly for Mandarin but look I talked my way into the Chanel role because I genuinely loved the product. I was already a consumer of... Of the product. So somehow got my way into Chanel, and this is when the Brisbane store was opening. And it wow, what an experience! I learned so much there. So, what I learned in restauranting was how to talk to people, and that translated so well into Chanel. And what I will say, what I really wanted to give people in luxury retail was what I never got in luxury retail, right? So if you go into luxury retail, generally speaking, you get a pest of a person mm, yeah. running around after you. If you were one of those people in luxury retail, luxury retail being that person, sit the fuck down. No one wants <laughs> to be pested yeah. no. by you. Or Especially like, when you're about to no, no one. big money. A lot of the time people were coming in for the first time mm. n- not knowing And also really intimidated to come into the store. I remember that because I was that... Sometimes I'm even intimidated to go into some stores. The girls are really beautiful. They dressed well. They look you up and down. So I went out of my way to give people the service that they would never expect from Chanel. I got into so much trouble. But... I sold so much. I, I was a part-time employee and probably sold more than the full-timers and they're like, CJ, how do you do it? I'm like, look, I don't do any of the things that I'm meant to do. You're meant to tell the story and the heritage. I'm oh. like, you know what? They're coming and they obviously know about the brand. I would just have chats with the people. Yeah. I'm like, mm. look, sit down, bring it, bring it in, bring it in, sit down on the seat. You know, as an employee, you're not meant to sit on the couches. <laughs> and I'm like, bring it in. Do you want a water? Done. Let me get you water. You're not meant to give water to everyone. But I was like, I just wanted people to be like, look, tell me what you're after. And they're like, oh, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, look, if you're thinking about it, don't get it. It's it's obviously causing you anxiety. It's just not a good idea. Come back when you're ready. When you come back and then we'll look at all the things. You know what? Let's look at the things now. Let's try on the things. I would take people through and let them try on things $100,000 handbags. I'm like, you know what? Put on the alligator. Let's see how it looks on here. But these are people that I knew didn't necess- weren't necessarily, well, they weren't going to buy it, but I'm like, well, it's just the alligator bag sitting there. Might as well put <laughs> I it. No one's going <laughs> to buy it. Like, for fuck's sake. Let me just put it on someone's shoulder. Honestly, I think, and I, I'm not sure, I'm just what I think happened. People just really enjoyed the service that I gave yeah. and I never tried to sell. I think that was the main thing that I learned. Never sell because people will buy Buy when they're ready and comfortable. For example, some ladies would come in; they'd spend a thousand dollars on a pair of ballet flats because they've been saving them, saving for two years so special, you know, little mm-hmm. things like that. But they'd, take, they'd come in 10 times before buying something. In retail, we call that a time waster. Mate, sometimes infuriated, but I'm like, you know what, they'll come back, they'll buy something eventually. Yeah. Okay. Mate, it's a long game. Mate, 100%. Not, it's not quick sales. It's it's not, like no, you build it's the connection. It's, a, it's a nice man. Uh-huh.
2: I, mean, I mean, there's a good lesson in that in business. Yeah. Like, you know, what? it's all about, Tell me. Well, it's all about building, building long-term relationships, relationships mm-hmm. giving value to people, mm-hmm. establishing... Establishing a connection, mm-hmm, you know, absolutely. it's not about just kind of like yeah. quick
0: sell. But so much of what I do now, like to bring it to art for a minute, I don't sell my art. Like I don't ever sell it. It's like if people want it, they can get it at the time if it's available, and we do no selling whatsoever. Mm. Isn't that crazy? Mm. I've learned so much from that. I'm like, I, you just can't force people into shit. Mm. I, I'm not going to either. And arts even more subjective, more subjective than handbags. Mm-hmm. It's such an unnecessary thing to buy, to be perfectly honest. It's a a fucking wall wall hanging. God Almighty! Like, what's going on? Anyway, so he's buying this. Who's (laughs) buying? We buy art now. Such wankers. Uh, uh. (laughs) (laughs) But it's 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 the most unnecessary thing to buy, and. You can never force anything. People have got to feel it. They've got to really understand your story if they've even come to want to understand it and if they even want to buy it. You can't force anyone into anything. And I've learnt so much from Brecky Creek, how to talk to people and Chanel, how to do the non-sell. You just, you just don't sell. What about from the beginning before you had your own oh. brand?
2: I mean, before you mm-hmm. established yourself as a brand, did you ever go out and try and sell your pieces or was it always inbound?
0: Always inbound because yeah. I never tried to go and sell them. Yeah. You know when people try and flog your stuff? You're like, please leave me alone. Yeah, yeah. Or the the Bible bashers, oh, the Bible yeah. bashers come up and trying to sell you. All the you're CDs just like, on the street. Yeah, you're like, I'll come and find your music if I like it. If I like it, I'll, it'll come to my earballs. Yeah. You know, like, mm-hmm. I'll hear it. If it's good, it'll come to me. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like you can't force your shit on anyone. And really? I see so many people trying to flog their wares. I'm like, pump the brakes. Go back to the very beginning. Make sure your product is great. Only then will the other thing happen, if it's meant to happen. Yeah. Never force it upon anyone, because that's just the most ugly experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And everyone's had it done to them before. Like everyone totally. knows a story when of like so, when they've tried, someone's tried to flog you something. You're like, oh god, here we go. So I was very lost. I was very lost yeah. working at Breaky Creek at, at uni and at Chanel. Just a lost fart in a thunderstorm. Swear to God. Had, <laughs> But I made some really great friendships at Chanel. And as we were chatting and you've got so much time in the day to chat because it's retail, it's not a fast pace, let's be real. So we're chatting a lot and we always talk about things like, oh, what do you what do you want to do? One of the girls wants to design a clothing label. Someone wants to do this. And I was like, gosh, I'd like to draw. And I this I could draw at this stage. And I think I was just doing little funny, quick fashion illustration things like of a Louboutin or a, a hand, or this or a Chanel, whatever it was. And someone was like, CJ, you should just do this full time. I'm like, how could you? Come on, mate. How could you do it this full time? That's so impossible to do. And I can't exactly track back to what exactly happened, but I met, a, I met some friends along the way. And one of one of these guys, his, his name's Niall. Actually, Niall McCarthy is a. If he's listening, Niall, sup, good mate of mine now, really good mate, and he, he, you could almost call him a mentor at the time. Uh, he, we became mates, and he had his business. And I think I met him at a bar with mates. We we're just chatting, and knowing me at a bar, sober on diet Cokes, just <laughs> chatting. I'm like, tell me about you. Da da da. And we got to the point that he started. A, a startup. He was in a startup. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this startup thing is really interesting. Tell me about that. And then he's telling me about the inner workings of how startup works. I'm like, oh, this is fascinating. And then we got on to Well, CJ, what do you want to do? I'm like, I just want to draw. Well, how can you make that happen? I'm like, I, I, I don't know. Like I'm really good at it, but how on earth can I quit my job? He sat me down one day and he's like, right, CJ, let's, let's look at this realistically. You have negative money in the bank, negative monies, it was, it was negative monies because I spent all my monies on, um, luxury, um, on the, luxury, on the things. Items, yep. You have negative monies in the bank. You live at home. You work in retail. What have you got to lose? I was like, you're fucking right, mate. Oh. It took it. There was more to it than that. But just that conversation changed it all for me because he's like, you've, you've actually, when you think about it, you think you're so locked in, but he's like, you've got negative money. You've, you've got nothing. You're at, You've got
2: nothing. You've, the only way is up. Like if you fail, you're still in the same
0: body. place. Yeah. In a very nice way, Niall was like, "Doll, <laughs> you've you're you're as bad as it gets. <laughs> you're a shit show." Well, like. Get, what like, else, what, what else would why happen? would you not try it? Like, what are you Why wouldn't you? What's wrong with it? you? <laughs> why? What's going on? So it's like, and then I just was like, well, shit, I need money to do the thing. I need to go and buy the equipment. Because I, I love a quality product. Mm-hmm. I'm so frustrated seeing people sell their shitty shit trying to make a quick buck. Yeah. I'm like, could you stop with the quick buck? Yeah. Back it up. Figure out how to make a beautiful product. It could be a lipstick. I don't care. Make sure that thing twists like a motherfucker. Make a beautiful product and then go and sell it. Everyone's mm. doing the quick, cheap, cheap and nasty. I get it. Mm. I, it's the Instagram quick sell. I get it. Yeah, I'm so over it. I'm yeah. so so. Even there's back no
2: longevity. In that. Mate, no, there's nothing <laughs>
0: in it. I was so obsessed with quality, and I am still so obsessed with quality. I just want everything to be perfect. Yeah. The Work I make, it's on the 100% cotton paper, French paper. It's Mm. every sheet, it's like 50 bucks, if not more. That's for the small side. You know, it's like, Mm. it's just so beautiful. It's cotton, it's stunning. The pencils I use, the pens I use, it's all of a certain standard. I won't even look at anything less. It's framed a certain way, archivally, museum, like everything's done. I don't know why, but I was like, I just want to do this at the highest standard right from the start. I don't know why. I wasn't going to do it on printer paper. I was like, fuck it, I'm going to use the good stuff, Mm -hmm. you know. So I kind of started that way. And the only way I was able to fund the start of this Mm. thing and to be able to go and do it and quit my job, drop out of uni and do all these things, I was like, well, I need money to do this. My parents we're not ever going to be like, sure, hon, take a year. We'll, we'll support we'll you. you. Yeah. Hell no. That's not how we were brought up. That's not the conversations we ever had. So I'm like, right, the only money I have in my life is my negative my negative, negative credit card, mm-hmm. negative monies, and my wardrobe. And this is also when eBay was prime time. Oh. Oh, mate. Oh. <sighs> Scrolling through sass and bide for mm. eBay stuff. Yeah, it's fine. So I sold my entire wardrobe on eBay, the, everything. When you think, like, surely you kept a few things, no. Nope, mm sold the whole shebang. Can I ask how much you made? I made 36 grand. Oh. And mm-hmm. I was like, whoa, I can go and get, I can take a year off, I, I don't need to work and to be able to pay for the things because I'm not going to buy any more things now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to put money into this thing that I want to try. I want to try drawing. I want to give it everything. And like I said before, I've got, I had all this energy and nowhere to channel it. So I was like, right, fuck. Now I can, let me try and draw. Let me put all this energy into drawing. And I took it so seriously. So in, in that I wasn't like, Oh, I'll do a bit of drawing here. Go out with my friend. Like I went hard seven days. Like I set up in my little, little bedroom, down the bottom, it was a tiny little space. I like, got an old architect's table from someone off, I think, not. you don't have Craigslist, what's it called? Gumtree. Gumtree, Gumtree yep, got some, off Gumtree, got a little table and I got all the best stuff and I just drew. And I drew wow. the beautiful things that I had. So mm. I photographed like the, the shoes I want and the da-da-da-da before I sold them. And I was able to draw them. And I was just drawing things I loved. I was like, oh, my God, I love it. And then I'd ask friends. I'm like, hey, Steve, can I borrow your Spike Libertans to photograph and draw? He's like, sure. So I had friends who had these beautiful things. So I was able to ask them and, hey, can I photograph this and that? So I'd just draw them. And this was when Instagram was happening. And everyone's got a story of like, oh, back when Instagram was happening. But it it, it truly was. Mm. It was such a really fun time to be on the platform because there were so many wonderful people to discover and things to see and, you know. So I was just posting things to Instagram. So I'd do a half-finished drawing, take a photo, put it up. Quarter-way finished, photo, put it up, finished. And then, oh, this is me drawing with a pen. So it, very, it literally started mm. very organically. I never went out to try and sell it. I'm like, I'm just going to make my drawings. And, and if when I've done 10, I'll put them in a little portfolio and take it to a gallery. That'll be fine, won't it? Let's do that. And I think after about 10 drawings, I got an inbound message on like someone slid into the DMs mm-hmm. and they're like, would like to buy that piece I'm like great I was like yeah come to mum and dad's house I'm in my bedroom um and here's the drawing and like wonderful how much I'm like this many monies and they said yes it literally started that way I swear to god
2: how'd you know where to price it
0: it's that funny just like uh, uh, no (laughs) you know I say that because it's easy and funny to say it was a little bit more than that because it actually took me so long excuse me it took me so long to make let's call it two three weeks I'm like god well let's work it out 20 bucks an hour I'm like oh 10 grand because that's what it would have been at 20 bucks an hour. So, like, I'm like, ah, seems fair. You know, I was earning 18 at Chanel. Let me go for 20. Surely that's a good time. And off we go. We're off to the races, you know, and then look this is the thing I drew. Someone would message, this is the price. A lot of people like, oh, that's too much. I'm like, well, okay, sorry, keep drawing, you know, and occasionally people are like, yep, great. And so it just kind of happened and also word of mouth. Yeah, You know, so definitely. that that was really, yeah. I was so fortunate and so all those people who were so supportive in the beginning, I'm so appreciated. And then what happened was there was a guy on Instagram, he had a really big blog back in the day. His name's Bill and he had a, um, a blog called The Cool Hunter. Yeah. I owe so much to Bill in the early days, so much. And this is when blogs, you know, when all the fashion bloggers were blogging. He was a blogger and he had this website with all these subscribers. And he messaged me being like, hey, do you want to be part of a group show? And this was in Sydney. And so it was me and a whole bunch of other artists. And I went and hung three things and they sold. And along with all the other artists, Mm -hmm. all their work sold and, and we struck up a relationship there, into a business relationship. So from that group show, work mm. sold and then he then we're like, great, let's do a show. You know, let's do another show in Sydney. So I think maybe six to eight months later we did another show in Sydney and all of it was it was all me this time, which was so interesting. And fortunately everything sold there. And, and also he had so many eyeballs remember mm, yeah. so I was so fortunate a great yes yeah. so fortunate to have that kickstart there so I can't ever discount what he gave me there so Sydney um we did a big show there and a year later we did a show in Melbourne and that was where it was like 50 foods in 50 days all the drawings on the MS plate so that was yeah. that and then after that show I, I, all through this whole stage I was like I just want to move to another country Oh, anyway. So I just started dating Lewis. Lewis is my now husband. He, we've been together ever since the start. So you know, it's he hasn't slotted in at any stage. We met at the races, at the Stratty Day races. Oh yeah. Bogan's, yes. Bogan's at the races. Yeah, that's it. Love it's it. a races love story. <laughs> isn't it? Woo! it's a good one, isn't oh, it? I think we beautiful. played spin the bottle. Good. I think we oh, did, a, did a quick patch. Classic. Yeah, that's how it all started. Plastic. Anyway, Lewis and I, we just wanted to go somewhere else. And we're just like, you know what, bugger it. Let's go to New York. And we're like, yeah, we'll figure it out. Let's go to New York. And so we kind of came over together after the Melbourne show. So I think I'd been drawing full time for maybe two and a bit years or so. So I had a little bit of traction yeah, under my belt yeah. and I had a little bit of money to be able to move here. So you just arrived. arrived. So you here. I, I had never been to New York before in my life. First time rolling in in the yellow cab. I was like, oh, this city's cute. This is cool. Yeah. Fuck, let's make it happen. It so was- what did
2: you do when you first came here? Because, like, mm-hmm. we have spoken to a couple of Aussies who yeah. um, made the transition to New York and yeah. they said it was quite hard in the beginning to kind of network and mm-hmm. get in and meet people and meet the right people. Did you do any of that when you were here? You
0: know, my job isn't... Well, I'm sure it is networky, but I'm not a networker. Mm. You know, Mm. I'm not really... And also remember, Instagram is essentially your networking platform in a way, you know, in a very roundabout way. So I'm not... It's not like I was selling body scrub and I'm like oh I need to meet the right person at Barney's yeah, and to get sure. it into the right stores I'm like I don't need to get it in anyway, because I was still working with Bill he was based in Oz and I was here and I think the next progression was to do a show in New York so we did a show in New York and I was just working towards doing, do- doing show. the show in New York. And you, did you fund that yourself? Yes so yeah. that's something also I or the the shows have always been funded yeah when I was working with Bill we'd always split the cost and we'd split the the sale of yeah yeah, so it was always a split thing so you know so whatever that was um we'd always split it and yeah and so that's what it was so so we'd just fund the show in New York and the first wasn't first show in New York was in Soho called the Trophy Room Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah um it was a good show like people came but it wasn't a like the work sold so that was good but it wasn't like a people lined up it wasn't frantic I think I did rented a booth in one of the big art fairs in Miami as yep. well. That was a big yeah, one, yep. Art Basel Miami. Art Basel. That was back mm-hmm, in the day, mm-hmm. you know. So that also helped. But you know, what's funny at Art Basel, not one work, not one piece sold. I don't think we sold a thing in the whole time the booth was open. But because what I learned from there, and this was maybe f- oh god, four, mm-hmm. f- three, four, five years ago now, it was like what we learned is like Bill had this database and. It was all happening online and we're like, oh, let's do the thing, bricks and mortar, like rent a booth at the fair and it didn't work. No. Because people are being introduced mm. to your work for the first time. They don't know your story. They're like, oh, that's a high price tag. Like, there's no there's no context. So we're like, well, fuck, we're not doing this again. It's all about online. So mm. we can sell it all online and people get the full story online via me showing the story on Instagram, via yeah. Bill. You know, so we, we did a really, I think together we really did a good job at storytelling, you know. Mm, yeah. Um, so, yeah, working together was fantastic. Late, just after the trophy room, I parted ways with Bill because I was, I think we just wanted different things out of our working relationship and that's fine. And so he's still running the Cool Hunter and mm-hmm. I've gone kind of on to do my own thing, but completely in-house. After that, I got approached by Christian Luberton don't know how, once again, one of those yeah. things, maybe through Instagram, maybe through this, that and the next thing. They'd known about my work and they approached me. They said, well, do you want to do a show in Hong Kong? I'm like, the hell yeah, I want to do a show mm. in Hong Kong. Are you kidding? And what a great opportunity because what that allowed me to do was go to another country, experience a whole new market um, and they were going to help for the The show show. but what was so interesting because I'd worked with Bill I didn't fully understand how it all worked because we were able to split the tasks I did the drawing and that's all I did was the drawing and then he handled everything else and when I parted ways it was like huh I've got to Figure out how to do all of it because it's not like part ways with Bill, sign with the gallery the next day. Who who do no. I what who do I go to? Like yeah. you can't just rock up and be yeah. like, hey, I'm free now. Keen? Like that's not how it works. Like relationships take like I'm assuming gallery relationships take, 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 take a long time to build. Yeah. So I'm like, fuck, I'm fuck. Luberton want to do the show in six months time. Like I can't. It would take longer than that to surely work with the gallery. So I'm like, fuck it. I'm gonna have to yes. figure this out. Mm-hmm. Say yes and we'll figure it out once again, I was like, well, I know they're not going to sell physically at the show. So let me sell them online. And that's where I, I, I can't remember how it happened, but we just sent the link to everyone at the same time. Cause I didn't know my past buyers. Bill had all that information. Fortunately, these works sold out. Uh, we just put them on a Shopify link, sent the link to everyone. And usually now we, it's, it's much more organized, but back there, I was like, fuck, like I need to." pay rent next month. Like we need to figure out how to sell these. So sent the link to everyone online and it was like a sneaker, it was like a sneaker drop. I'm like, right, so sneakers, you know, Lewis buys a lot of sneakers. I'm like, huh, how they do it? It's like a link. It's all available at the same time. Everyone's all the same for everyone. Mm. Ready, go. Mm. That's how we sold it. Looking back at it now, it wasn't the right. It it is what it is, but I, I could have managed it better if I'd known all the people who had acquired my work in the past. So I think that's my biggest mistake so far is like not, staying on track and knowing who those people were.
2: Hey, Anna here. I hope you got something out of that chat. Two big takeouts for us, the quality and the non-sell. Firstly, let's talk about quality. CJ made it really, really clear that you can never compromise on the quality of your product. You can have barely any resources and no marketing spend, but if your product is excellent, it will stand on its own. Also, the value of the non-sell was really interesting. It sounds counterintuitive, but by communicating scarcity and generating FOMO, she was actually able to establish a really solid stream of demand for her products. Head on over to part two now, where we delve a little bit deeper into the business side of CJ's journey.
1: Ladyland is hosted by Anna McKenzie and Caitlin Judd. The producer is Brooke Carrigan. Audio production by Matt Nikolic.